0: These days, a lot of people are learning about the benefits of fasting, like weight loss, mental and physical performance, gut health. But they worry about the whole not eating part. Well, that's exactly why Prolon was created. Prolon is a revolutionary plant-based nutrition program that nourishes the body while making cells believe they're fasting, giving you all the benefits. This has been researched and developed for decades at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute and backed by leading U.S. medical centers. Prolon helps promote healthy blood sugar, support cardiovascular health, and reduce abdominal fat. But Prolon isn't a diet. It's science. Science based on Nobel Prize-winning discoveries in medicine. And it all starts with Prolon's five-day program. Snacks, soups, beverages— all designed to keep your body in a fasting state. If I was going to start a nutrition program, Prolon is exactly what I'd use. Convenience, backed by Nobel-winning science that works. Right now, Prolon is offering Beyond the To-Do List listeners 10% off their 5-day nutrition program. Go to ProlonLife.com slash beyond. That's P-R-O-L-O-N-L-I-F-E dot com slash beyond for this special offer. That's ProlonLife.com slash beyond. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week I'm sharing a conversation with you that I had with Mike Schmitz. If you're familiar at all with the productivity podcast space, then you know that Mike has been on other productivity podcasts. Currently, he does his own podcast, Bookworm, or co-hosts it. And then he also is a co-host of the Focused show that he does with none other than MacPower users, David Sparks. And that's one of my new favorite shows, by the way. But Mike is joining me to talk about the topic of faith-based productivity. Now, before you hear those words and have alarm bells going off in your mind that someone is going to try to convince you to subscribe to a certain religious belief in this episode, nothing could be further from the truth. I have to make that disclaimer because some people are going to listen to this and think, oh my gosh, what are they doing with a productivity podcast talking about faith? Well, here's the thing. As we get into in this episode, you do not have to have a specific religious faith of any sort in order to get the theme of faith-based productivity that we talk about in this episode. I dare you, in fact, to listen to the first 10 minutes or so of this episode and not get something out of it, because there's so much more to the definition that we talk about than just skirting by and saying, oh, I'm not the same, quote, faith as someone else, so I can't listen to this. I think you're going to really enjoy this. In fact, this is a really fun conversation that I got to have with Mike. And not only do we talk about faith-based productivity and what that means and how you can get something out of that and how having a faith-based productivity can inform your decisions and give you more of a why, as well as better decision-making processes for having clarity on your priorities, we also then move into talking about taking a personal retreat, which then stems from that. So I know that if you give this episode a chance, you're going to get something out of it. That said, if your alarm bells went off, I give you permission to jump ship, though you don't need it. You can do whatever you want to. But I will still tell you what to do, which is enjoy this conversation with Mike Schmitz. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show for the very first time long overdue. It's Mike Schmitz. Welcome to the show. (laughs)
1: Thanks, Eric. I've been a big fan and a listener for a long time.
0: Yeah. So and I've heard you as well. And it's hilarious. I mean, in fact, you're actually on more what I would consider productivity podcasts than I am in a lot of ways. (laughs) So you're I bow to your prolific uh, output. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let's cover that a little bit. So you uh, let's see here. Let's kind of do a timeline real quick. So I don't know if this was the first productivity show that you were involved with, but obviously the productivity show over at Asian, Asian Efficiency. Uh, you're not doing that anymore, right? You've got your hands too full at this point. I am not. Uh, that is kind of a
1: a long story, which I won't get into the details. Sure. But um, I was let go, basically, uh, middle of October of last year, which kind of forced me to think through all the things. And at that point, I realized that I have this thing, which I know we're going to talk about with the faith-based productivity thing Mm -hmm. today, that has kind of been on the back burner and one of those things where you know you need to do it, but you don't give it the attention that it deserves. And it was kind of a moment of clarity at that point, like, okay, it's go time. And so I've been muscling on that for a long time, and getting ready as we record this to to launch that pretty soon. But um, kind of backing up, even before before that, you know, I, I, to answer your question, no, I'm not doing the productivity show anymore. Uh, I started Bookworm actually before that because I wanted to develop some podcast skills, and my buddy Joe Buligan and I wanted somebody to hold us accountable for reading more books. You know, I read this statistic that said. What separates the top CEOs from the average ones is that they read 24 books a year. Well, that's about a book every two weeks. I floated the idea to Joe, hey, how about we read a book every two weeks and then record a conversation about it? Yeah. <laughs> so, did that. Uh, Zach ended up leaving the Asian Efficiency team, and we were kind of in a spot where, what do we do with the productivity show? And I, my personality, I'm very introverted, actually. So, it was kind of scary for me, but I mentioned to Tan, the CEO. And like, I, th- I think I can do it. <laughs> so I, I took over and we grew it from while I was there, 1 million downloads, like 5 million downloads uh, seemed to go pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the most recent project that I'm doing is Focused with David Sparks, which is a different approach to productivity. If you listen to the productivity show, and you listen to Focus, they are two totally different animals. Uh, and honestly, Focused is more authentic for me, I believe, mm-hmm. because the, the subtitle is Life is More Than Cranking Widgets. There's a lot of stuff in the productivity space about the efficiency, but efficiency just means that you get to do more work.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally saw somebody, it was Michael Hyatt. He tweeted it out. I don't think it was uh, a quote. I think it was his own tweet. He was saying it. He said something along the lines of, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, if your focus is efficiency only, then great. There's always more work for you to do. And yeah, some, and that's a, bad a thing. <laughs>
1: it's, it's a hamster wheel. You know, yeah. you can you can get efficiency is great when you need a little bit more space. But then what happens is that we get that space and we're like, OK, I can go faster. I can do more. I can fill that space. And eventually you get going so fast and it's kind of like you're on the highway. You're going 100 miles an hour, but there's a car six feet in front of you. So as soon as something unexpected happens, it all comes crashing down. And so I I kind of believe in faith-based productivity. I believe is is kind of this direction too where the effectiveness, the intentionality, that's the thing that really matters. It's not becoming a little bit more efficient in doing something but asking the question should I be doing this thing in the in the first place? And a lot of the times the answer is no, because we just say, "Well, we've always done this. So I'm going to find a way to keep doing this. And maybe one more thing, you know, (laughs) I'll go start my side hustle. And and I'm totally for that. I mean, that's how I got into this space. That's how faith-based productivity became a thing. But you do have to maintain some sort of margin. You have to recognize that you can't just flat out hustle all of the time. And I've got my own definition of hustle. Maybe that's something I want to talk about. Maybe well, it's not. Definitely. I think it's I think it's kind of a, a misused yeah. term in the productivity space. I,
0: I agree. I think that it's definitely a term that's a buzzword that maybe needs to be analyzed a bit more. We've touched on that in the show in the past. I do want to say though, um, hustle goes right along with the the term free agents, which is what focused the show used to be named before yes. you you were on it, and then uh, they, you know uh, I forget who one I'm jealous you get to do a show with Mac Sparky David Mac Sparky (laughs) Sparks which is just brilliant he's been on this show twice I'm a long time Mac power users listener so when he started coming out with other different shows I thought oh this is good but when free agents was just free agents I thought this isn't necessarily my thing and so I'd kind of keep tabs on it but I wasn't all that interested in it, and I kind of missed the first month or two where it transformed into focused. But as soon as I saw that it did, I thought, "Oh!" And then it quickly became honestly one of my favorite, if not my favorite, productivity shows that's out there. So you can tell Matt, uh, you can tell Mac, you can tell <laughs> you can tell David that I said that. But regardless, I love the show and I love what you're doing over there. And so it's about time you finally came on. But what's funny is is faith-based productivity and and actually I'm going to start this off I I read this to you prior to the recording. So I want to get into this here and I probably even hinted at this in the intro uh which hasn't been recorded yet. So that's very meta, you know, it's like a back to the future kind of podcasting <laughs> scenario going on here. But uh where is it? It's it's um uh, okay, so here here is a, a an iTunes review. I, I never do this. There's an iTunes review out there that I think is hilarious and also kind of weird. It says, "I've enjoyed several episodes. I think they do a great job." Da 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 da. da. However. And this is where I have a beef with this review. It says, however, the large amount of religious content really distracts from the topic and often makes me stop listening. It appears as though some of the hosts are brought in just to share on spirituality and sharing an overwhelmingly Christian philosophy. The content and vision may fit better into another podcast entirely, but distracts from this one. And I read that and thought, what show are they listening to? Because I never... Never talk about this. And, you know, the word Christian has probably come up twice in the totality of this show, only by guests saying it without me prompting it. And even right now, as you and I are about to talk about faith based productivity and what that means, we aren't necessarily going to evangelize or, um, what's the other word? There's, there's another word where you're trying to, basically you're trying to convince people to see things from your point of view or become what you are and all right. of that. And it's like, in no way, shape or form, should anybody listening to this feel like that is what is about to happen or they should get into it. Now, I know some people may be on the same page as us. I just want you to know I'm on the same page as everybody. I want you to get something out of this and what really the root of entering into a faith conversation when it comes to productivity, and at least how I see it initially, and then I want to hear hear your thoughts, is that faith is such an integral part to many people's identities and their reality that to ignore that when it comes to what you do day in, day out in terms of how you decide things, who you are, your priorities, and all of that just means we're ignoring a huge piece of productivity. Yes.
1: Yeah. And in fact, the faith-based aspect of this, obviously the the Christian aspect of it is a big part of my story. So if you want to blame pe- more negative <laughs> religious reviews on me, go right ahead sure. because I don't try to convert anybody, but I do tell my story and that's a big piece of it. Now, faith, can be applied, though, to a lot of different things. I would say, even for the agnostic, the person who believes there is absolutely no God, that faith is still something that, that you believe in. You believe, you have faith that there is no God. Here's the thing, though. I, I believe you cannot separate faith, not a certain religious belief system, but faith from productivity. I heard somebody define one time faith as believing what you can't see is going to come to pass. And on the Other side of that coin basically is fear, which is believing what you can't see is going to come to pass. Mm. So there's a positive aspect to this. There's a negative aspect to this. A lot of productivity is believing that you are doing the right things, working the right systems that are going to produce the right results. There's a ton of talk about like the compound effect, and there's a lot of cool stories that illustrate that. You just show up every day, and eventually you achieve your goal. That's how I wrote my book, which is the thing that got me connected with Asian Efficiency and into this space and open up a whole ton of doors for me. I wasn't a writer. I also wasn't a morning person. But I identified that I wanted to write this book. And the only time that I had to do it was at 5am in the morning. So I got up and I wrote for an hour every day before I went into the office. And eight months later, I had self published my first book. That's the kind of thing that a lot of people I think can resonate with. Because I think the New York Times ran the statistic like 80 something percent of people believe they have a book in them and that they should write it. Well, it's not hard to actually sit down and write your book. You just have to show up every day and you have to do the thing that's going to get you there. That requires faith. On the other hand, fear could be the thing that's going to keep you from showing up every day. You can find an hour for Monday through Friday to to show up and write if it's really something that's important to you. But a lot of people are kind of afraid of the unknown. They're afraid maybe they're going to put that thing out there and they're going to have people who don't understand it, who say something bad about it. I mean, I get it. I've had those reviews about my book. People who have a different Christian religious belief system, who see things <laughs> from a different perspective, and they're like, oh, he's saying this. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point, you know, but you can't respond to an Amazon review that way. It just kind of gets under you your can. skin. You know, you remember those negative ones. You don't remember the positive ones. Yeah, you don't you, remember you can, the people who write in and say, oh my gosh, you totally opened my eyes to this thing. And now my situation has changed. I've had those. I've had somebody write me and say, I was contemplating suicide, but you helped me to see things differently. And now my life's turning around. Like that's the stuff that gets me going.
0: Mm hmm. I've had enough of those, uh, not enough of those. I would love more of those. I have had my share of those messages too. Yeah. You can't argue with Amazon reviews. I mean, I'm glad you can't because you know, yeah. we'd be spending way too much sitting there, but, um, yeah. And so for me, I, I mean, I think that, uh, again, it's all about this, uh, topic that we've talked, uh, in different we've, we've talked about on this show, a number of different ways we've, you know, it's a, it's a multifaceted topic and faith is, I, I think, honestly integrated into all of those topics. We talked about purpose. We've talked about clarity. We've talked about your identity, what you're calling, even Jeff Goins. And all of those are kind of related to this topic. This is an, un, this is a deeper underlying level to that. And again, even agnostic people have this.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- there's a big, I would say wave in the productivity space right now for less but better. You know, Essentialism, yes. deep work, stuff like that. Cut out the clutter, cut out all the noise, focus on the things that are really important. That's going to move the needle. And really the the core tenet there is finding your why. Finding right. the thing that is going to produce the motivation. Okay, I, th- I personally believe there's a big difference between motivation and willpower. And a lot of people view willpower as like, well, I need to reduce the number of decisions that I make. I should wear the same... Turtleneck and jeans every day, just like Steve Jobs did. So I have more willpower for the decisions that are really important. But when something is really important to you, the motivation can be there. You know, if my kids are in trouble, it doesn't matter how tired I am. Like I'm going to go run out into the street and push them out of the way of the upcoming uh, oncoming car, right? So in an instant, the motivation can be manufactured. That's what I believe the why does. I just happen to have a spiritual why behind all of the productivity things.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I would love to talk about maybe then how that starts to filter into and integrate in some of the most common uh, you know, buzzwords of productivity. And, and let's go to hustle for a second there. We brought that up earlier. Let's go to that. So for me, hustle is a word where I always kind of thought the word hustle meant a short burst. It's like a sprint. I don't know. How do you see it?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think maybe let's just define what it's not First, because most sure. people hear hustle, they think of Gary V and getting four hours of sleep because you're so excited to work. <laughs> That's not necessarily true. <laughs> so hustle's not, I would argue, cranking or grinding. It's not putting in the long hours. It's also not trying to do all of the things for yourself. It's being selective and selecting the things that are you're going to work on, but then doing those with all the resources that you have available to you. Now, there's a definition that I really like. And it says that hustle, the definition is uh, to force to move hurriedly or unceremoniously in a specified direction. And I believe you can break that down into three different components. And this is really important to understand because what most people think of when they think of hustle is they think of the work, Okay, the the people who are putting in the long hours. That's kind of the surface level. And you got to work backwards. You won't ever get there if you're hustling the right way. Uh, and you just you just start there. Uh, the second level is the, the purpose. And, and that's kind of the, the direction that you're going. And then the last part, last part, and really the most important part is the vision. OK, so the vision is your, your why that determines the plan or the route that you're going to take. And then ultimately, that direction is going to influence the work that you do. So maybe another way to say this is that you start like going on a trip with the destination in mind, your vision, where you want to end up. Okay. And then you've got the direction. That's the purpose. That's the route that you're going to take to get there. And then only when you know where you're going and how you're going to get there, do you drive? Do you get in the car? Do you hustle quote unquote, do the work, you know, the stuff that people see. And I think if you, there, there may be a roadblock on your, on your route, you know, you may have to adjust and go in a different direction for a short period of time, but if you just get in the car and drive, you're going to miss it. <laughs> you have no idea where you're going to end up. You know, if, uh, I don't know where I'm going, but any road will get me there, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, that, that's, I think, the the negative aspect of how most people hustle.
0: Well, and in your metaphor that we're going with here, The traveling portion of it is then the place where the word efficiency and the enacting of that makes appropriate sense. You don't want to, unless the point of the trip, which again, would have come prior to getting in the car and the planning of the trip, unless you're going on a sightseeing trip and you're just going to wander around, the most efficient or direct route, unless again, there's one or two stops you want to make along the way, is the the best way.
1: Yes. And and to clarify, because I mentioned the Gary Vee thing, and even I think Gary V is kinda misunderstood about this because he has a quote that says, Real hustle is deploying your energy in an actionable way toward the pursuit of some goal. And this is the thing, like the efficiency is great. You wanna you want the trip not to take as long as as you think. The problem is for anything that is worthwhile, you are going to encounter not just one, not just two, but probably several obstacles along the way. And at that point, if you're just efficiency minded, you're going to say, this isn't working. I should go back and I should try something else. And there's where there's a fine line, because sometimes, Ryan Holiday, the obstacle is the way. Yes, Just because the thing is there doesn't mean that you should turn around, but figure out how to get around it. Now, there are times when it's just not in alignment. This isn't something that you're You're supposed to be doing and that's kind of what I try to do with my course like I my tagline is help people connect to their calling discover their destiny live a life they were created for you can't just tell somebody that but you can help them ask the right questions and in my experience when you ask the right questions then the answers can become clear most people though don't bother to stop long enough to ask the right questions they just get in the car and they go and then they (laughs) they get run into something and then they turn around they run into something else And so I kind of believe that at some point, it doesn't matter if you are 17 or 67, it's worth pausing and identifying, answering the question, am I moving in the right direction? And if you're not making the adjustments, a lot of times it's not like a complete, I'm going to change my career, turn around, do something different. A lot of times it's just little adjustments that when you make them, things become easier because things are in alignment and it's kind of, kind of more smooth sailing sort of a thing. Uh, I forget who said it. Like the universe makes way for the man who knows where he's going. Like that's, that's true when you really click into alignment, but it takes some effort and some, some self-study, some self-examination, you know, a growth mindset in order to, to recognize those things and, and click into them.
0: So a perfect example of one of the ways that we can get started with hitting pause and stopping and getting clarity is this idea of doing a, a personal retreat. I love that you, uh, like myself, uh, have <laughs> the 12-week year integrated into that. For those that have not maybe listened to the episode that I did on that with my friend uh, Jeff C., probably a year or so ago now. Uh, Let's take a couple seconds here and just say, what's the 12-week year? Sure. So the
1: 12-week year, there's some people in the productivity space, you read that book, and it feels kind of used car salesman-ish, like (laughs) a lot of salesy stuff. So I want to encourage people to push past that sort of thing because I think their core ideas are really good. Uh, But basically, the idea is that a lot of people will set New Year's resolutions, yearly goals, right? Right. And then they will sit for 11 months, and then try to scramble at the end. And they will, probably won't achieve their goal, but they'll get close. You know, so what if we? At the author's uh, idea is: what if we shorten that time period from 12 months to three months? And then we've got this shorter period, which we can sprint. You know, it's not necessarily a, a marathon; it's a series of sprints. So we we can sprint for a shorter period of time towards this goal. Maybe we won't achieve it, but this is a big goal that maybe we we would have spent an entire year working on anyways now in 3 months maybe we didn't get all the way there but we got pretty close plus we have built in times throughout the year where we can readjust and recognize what are the things that went wrong and, and make adjustments to the systems so that things become smoother for the next time and that's kind of been my experience with the personal retreat stuff i was implementing the 12 week year and it wasn't working for me <laughs> and i'm i I believed in the system though i believe that uh, I was the problem that I was doing it wrong. <laughs> the The thing is, uh, their model didn't fit exactly the way that my brain worked. So I kind of went to the the drawing board and I'm like, okay, so what what should I what should I do here? And I came up with this concept of basically taking like an entire day. and I've got a whole system that I I follow, and I, I made a course out of it. It's got a workbook which will walk you through everything. A lot of the concepts are from the twelve week year, but a lot of the things that are in there are not. The types of questions that I ask. Uh, the types of exercises that uh, I, I do to, to map everything out and identify the habits I, I want to create. But this is the kind of thing that over time has allowed me to transform from failing every single time gloriously with my 12-week year to being able to achieve my goals.
0: Yeah, man. And I... I- personally, you know, like you, I pushed past the car salesman stuff. I think I kind of I've read so many business books at actually, I think you've kind of have too for bookworm where you yeah. kind of push past what the books, uh, you know, structure or, uh, you know, framework or whatever is to just really get down into the core nuggets of what the actual learning could be for you, which is going to be different for everybody. But um, I have a, a really small mastermind. It's just me and two other guys, and we do the 12 week year. Like we, we basically go, I mean, we meet every week, but we go through each quarter, which is essentially what a 12 week year is. It's like treating, it's like saying, Hey, let's just re gear, let's re clarify, let's, let's pause, and then we'll walk through each of these 12 weeks, these, these four years in one year. Um, that's wrong. It's the other way around, isn't it? It's three months. No, it's right. Three months is a quarter. Yep, I wish I could. This is not a math podcast, so I can make that mistake (laughs) and it's fine. Um, But I I love the idea that basically, and this is something I I think is one of those key foundational things to productivity. It's not just uh, arranging your day. It's not just arranging your weeks or your months or your quarters like the 12 week year is, or even going on a macro level of like your best year ever, like Michael Hyatt, all of those things, beneficial, incredibly useful. But if you're not planning in a retreat, for me, a retreat would be... I mean, I am I guess, what, what frequency would you go with? For me, I'm thinking probably maybe even once per quarter, like a 12-week year kind of an aspect.
1: Yeah, my, my personal retreat handbook is built on that model. Basically, you take an entire day if you can. And again, everybody's situation is going to be different. So maybe for you, the way you implement your personal retreat is... You take an afternoon off on a Saturday. Like you could do it that way. For me personally, I've got a cabin in the woods that I go to for basically, I'll go up there uh, on like a Thursday night, have all day Friday, come back Saturday morning. That's enough time for me to sort through all these things. And the longer that you can give your brain to noodle on these things, the better off you're going to be. The real power of the personal retreat, I believe, is not just identifying, okay, I I crashed with these goals, and so I'm going to set something different. The real power of the personal retreat is that you cut out all of the noise. You cut out all of the things that can influence your opinion or your view of things, and you ask some questions, and you let your brain noodle on them. So the big three questions that I ask are, what should I start doing? What should I stop doing? What should I keep doing? And there's my experience. This happens every single time. When I ask those questions, I can write down some answers. Some stuff comes to me right away, okay. And usually, about after a half an hour, forty-five minutes of just thinking about those questions, I, I feel like okay, that's probably all I'm going to get. I should move on, and that's the point where I know that I got to dig deeper and just <laughs> just sit there for a while, <laughs> uh, because in about another hour, that's when every single time. I uh, get my moment of clarity. It's like, oh, I should do that or I should stop doing that. And that's another thing is like the whole power of saying no. Uh, I make myself stop doing something every single time that I go because I want to be creating margin for other things that may be more important or better, but I don't want to just try to become more efficient, squeeze them in. You know, I want to constantly be building in that buffer so that if something really does appear in front of me that I really want to really work on this. You know, I, I have the capacity in order to do that. I don't have to rev the engine too hard because uh, ultimately, you know, if if you're if you're going too too fast for too long, you're going to burn out. It's it's going to happen. It's just a question of when. And for me personally, I have some health issues. I was diagnosed with epilepsy when I was eighteen years old, and so uh, I'm on this medication that. Um, makes you m- makes you drowsy, and also one of the things that can trigger a seizure is not getting enough sleep. So I have been very militant about the amount of sleep and the quality of the sleep that I get for a long time. Uh, we don't need to go talk about blue light and all that stuff, but you know that's that's something that I've been doing for a, for a long time because it could have very negative consequences for me if I if I don't. Uh, but that's the, that's the first thing that tends to be sacrificed at the altar of quote unquote productivity, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, is, well, I just got to get this one more thing done. And so my questions of making myself say no to something, that's that's kind of my built in systemic uh, protection against that. It's kind of like uh, the bumpers and bumper bowling it keeps me out of the gutter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and and we've hinted at this, too, in, in other aspects of this show. The word productivity, it, it, you know, it, it, it indicates producing something and that's great and all. But again, it's all about producing the right things and up to the quality of production that also should be happening. And if you're producing too much or spending too much time producing without, you know, uh, it, it's like uh, to go back to the car metaphor, You know, it's like never getting your oil changed. It's never rotating the tires. It's never buying new tires. It's never doing a tune-up. All of those things, then that's great. You want to produce as much as possible for, for as long as possible. But if you really want to do that, then that means not producing something all of the time, constantly, without rest, without maintenance. Yeah, you need to
1: find your own cadence. You know, your sustainable pace. I actually, as we're recording this, just ran uh, a half marathon, and I ran my first one last year. I overtrained when I did it, hurt myself, ended up having to do physical therapy, and then uh, because I couldn't run for a while, uh, when I started running again, I increased my distance too fast, had to deal with plantar fasciitis, so all the runners know that that's like the worst case scenario where mm-hmm. like I just couldn't do anything for about three to four months, and so my focus changed after going through the the physical therapy, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to run this race again, and I'm going to do it right. I'm I'm going to make sure that my body is in a position. Maybe I'm not going to be as fast as I was last year, but I'm not going to hurt myself either. And uh, that's exactly what happened, but it changes your approach. You have to do things that aren't even necessarily uh, directly related to being able to run the race, so like my injury was my patel tendon had slipped off of my my kneecap and it was on the side of my knee, so at that option you've got two options at that point you can either have surgery or you can build up the muscles in in your legs and my physical therapist said this that a lot of runners they just run and so they have muscles in the the front and the back of their legs, but not on the sides and if you watch like a soccer player or a cyclist like they 've got these massive leg muscles on on the sides of that actually holds the patel in place and i 'm not into all of the I'm not a doctor, so (laughs) (laughs) forgive me if I'm mixing this up a little bit, but the basic idea was uh, that I had to create a new training regimen of things that I never did before. I can't skip leg day anymore, (laughs) and I had to start riding a bike. Like these are things that I never thought I would do. And in the moment, you're like, well, what does this have to do with being able to run a a half marathon? You know, but those are the things that that keep you safe. And that's the type of stuff that gets neglected, you know, going back to like the, the thing that everybody has seen the Eisenhower box, you know, the important. Uh, the important and urgent. Those are the things that we always make time for. But then the things that kind of fill the rest of the time are the things that are urgent, but not important. Okay. And that's why email specifically, I have a love hate relationship with email because I I feel like it really, it it negatively impacts a lot of people's quality of life and they don't even realize it. Yes, (laughs) Email's a to-do list other people can write on and they just assume that, oh, this thing came in, I got to do this. So that's the type of stuff that you fill the rest of your day with. And then you say for the things that are important but not urgent, oh man, I didn't get to the gym today. Or, oh man, I, I didn't get to have fam- or have dinner with my my family. Like fill in the blank for you, whatever that thing is. And really like the faith-based productivity aspect of that is kind of flipping the script and saying, okay, what is the the big why here? What is the thing that is important to me? And then how do I manufacture a system where I can give that thing the attention that it deserves? Regardless of your religious belief system, regardless of what is important to you, if you're single, family time is not important to you, Okay, you can decide for yourself what that thing is But prioritizing those things, a lot of times all it takes is that perspective shift. All it takes is a little bit of intentionality and planning out your day, putting the big rocks on your calendar first. And then my experience is that when you do that, the rest of the stuff takes care of itself.
0: I love my dogs like I love my children. I care about them, well, one more than the other, but we won't get into that. But I am committed to giving them both the best. And if you feel that way too, like your dog is a member of the family, then you've got to serve them top quality food that they deserve serve them nom nom-nom. nom nom nom's made with 100 premium ingredients that means zero fillers or funky stuff my dogs love these great tasting meals and their nutritional needs are different than ours that's why nom nom's nutrient-packed recipes are developed by board certified veterinary nutritionists freshly made and shipped free to your door right now you can get a 50 percent no risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash beyond say goodbye to boring dog food your dog deserves a reason to run to their bowl every single meal every single day and all dogs are individuals so they deserve to be served like it nom nom delivers freshly made dog food personalized to your dog's preferences and unique caloric needs and again 100% premium ingredients no funky stuff go right now for 50% off your no risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash beyond that's try n o m com slash beyond for 50% off Trynom.com slash beyond When it comes to hiring, don't search for great talent. Match with them, thanks to Indeed. With Indeed, you can ditch that busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Indeed leverages over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, making their matching engine your go-to because it's constantly learning from your preferences, So the more you use it, the better it gets. I used to be involved giving my input into the hiring process for a few key roles that were connected to mine. And man, do I wish we had Indeed back then, because we could have gotten much higher quality hires using Indeed. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more So going back into the retreat, what are some of the core questions that, you know, we want to make sure that we ask? I know you kind of we kind of went through maybe like, I don't know, the first few hours of the retreat. What does the rest of it look like? Sure. I can walk through the the process here
1: real quickly. Uh, So basically, I start with reevaluating my core values, and these actually don't change for me. I've got a bunch of guiding questions in the in the course. Things like, what legacy do you want to leave behind? What are you passionate about? Which, by the way, that's a, a whole nother rant because passion doesn't mean yes. what a lot of people think it means. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what really makes you happy? What do you value? What do you refuse to do? You know, things like that. Uh, and identifying your core values is extremely important that's basically your compass for the rest of your life and helps you identify which things you should be saying yes and no to but that's kind of like the big life picture stuff Uh, we actually have family core values and they uh, i had a a graphic designer friend create like a manifesto type graphic and it's uh blown up it's framed it's it's hanging on our living room wall so we see it every, every single day and it's kind of a reminder of this. Is, these are the things that you've, you said you that are important to you. So in the heat of the moment, when somebody's asking you to do something, you know, we tend to forget those things. Want a constant reminder. Um, so I've been identifying the core values and then I implement a concept which is not original, but it's the wheel of life. Are you familiar with this?
0: Yeah, I believe so. This is where you get all the different aspects of your life. Yep. So this
1: is tests. this is really powerful for anybody who has never done this. And you can pick your own categories. I've got eight spiritual career and work love and relationships health and fitness personal growth fun and recreation that's the one that tends to be really low for me because i tend to just always want to work on a project and i have to force myself to take a break uh social and then finances so you rate your current satisfaction in each of those areas on a scale of one to ten it's like a big pizza pie sort of a thing and what you end up with is like this this wheel kind of like uh you're familiar with some of those like RPG type games that got the different characteristics and as you develop like the the, the graph um, or the the color thing in the middle gets bigger. Uh, that's kind of what you end up seeing with with this once you once you fill it out. But the main idea here is to identify the areas that are causing you the most pain and then set goals which are going to make a positive impact in those areas. Now, if everything's rosy for you, great, then you can pick whatever areas you want. But people are motivated by two, two things, the pursuit of, of pleasure and the avoidance of pain. Pain is the big one. So if there is something that is causing you pain, it's worth taking some time to identify that. That's kind of what the Wheel of Life does. Uh, and then from there, I ask the, uh, the retrospective questions, uh, which maybe if, you, if you're going and looking at the previous quarter, things like what did you get done, what went well, what maybe could have gone better, uh, and then what should I start doing? stop doing, keep doing. That's where the majority of the time comes. Uh, from that point, that's basically like the first four hours. that's that's my morning. Then I'll break for for lunch and I'll actually set some goals based on the uh, the areas that I want to address in the wheel of life. And this is there's not a whole lot of crazy science behind behind this. Uh, it's just picking the goals that you want to achieve and then breaking them down. So maybe what are some milestones that, that you could hit? Uh, and then what are some daily tasks or habits that you could create that are going to get you there? Uh, let me just give you an example. Uh, I wanted to grow my email list. Okay, So that's my, my goal, grow it to a thousand members, okay, or, uh, subscribers. And then the milestone that I want to hit is I want to release a, a newsletter every week. Okay. Well, what's the habit I have to create if I'm going to send out a newsletter? I've got to show up and write every day. You know, so you can identify your own goals, milestones. You know, that that sort of way. Um, I will then. I've got a template for planning my perfect week. I call it my perfect week. This is not something I fill out every single week. Just kind of like my ideal. Again, putting the big rocks on there first. So I want to make sure I get to the gym. That goes on this this grid that I've got, and I slot all of the things on there that are important to me. And then that kind of directs how I would plan my day. Uh, I don't actually get to the point of planning my day in the in the uh, personal retreat, but at, by the time I'm done by setting setting my goals and, and kind of outlining my perfect week, then I kind of know what a win looks like. And so when I sit down to plan my day, the night before, uh, every day after that, I'm writing out those goals for my personal retreat by hand because I want that to stick. I want it to be front of mind. And then uh, I, I just very quickly five minutes, kind of time block my day and uh, make a list of the, the big things that, that I've got. So something like this, for example, this is going to go on there recording with Eric. Uh, but I might also have just like a three-hour block where you know, I just put I'm, I'm at working from home or I'm going to be writing. Uh, and then maybe I have got, I've got uh, a task listed on the, the right side of my, my sheet. Maybe I don't. You know, It kind of depends on, on the mode that I'm in. But basically, I put enough structure to keep me moving in the right direction without a whole bunch of detail because I don't want to get so focused on the tasks or the trees that I miss the forest.
0: (laughs) And I assume that you did say you like take a break for lunch and things like that. Uh, I've got two kind of logistical questions here for people that are trying to figure out how they would do this for themselves. Um, actually more like three questions so it's a, it's a matter of time it's a matter of space and then it's a matter of for those of us who don't feel like they can follow through on the commitment of how long this seems like it might take uh so for example in your in your um in your ideal scenario you're going to a cabin you're going like on a what you said uh thursday night i think yep and then yeah, you got all day saturday morning yeah and then you've got all day friday and then coming home on a saturday and so number 1 the time issue do you feel like this could be done in a more compressed way to get somebody you know to shoehorn into it where it's like at least trying it on a smaller scale to start with um time wise would work for them or is that just not even worth it
1: yes it it totally is the the concept behind the personal retreat is in addition to uh, using the 12-week year framework is implementing a, a, the concept of, of thinking time, maybe is the best way to describe it. But it's really just creating the space for your brain to think about whatever problem you're trying to solve. Okay, And so I've got a specific structure that I use. You could modify this to answer whatever questions you want. I think Cal Newport would call this uh, a a walking meditation or a productive mm-hmm. meditation, you know, where you, you're not working on the task, but you're just thinking about it. You could apply it that way. Uh, if you were, if you like my format, but you don't have an entire day, the, the thing that I would start with would be asking those three questions, what should I start doing, stop doing, and keep doing? Uh, you will be very surprised uh, the, at the clarity that you get if all you did was answer those questions and gave yourself a couple of hours for your brain to kind of unpack those. Uh, and that's the, that's the secret, though, is that you need to get out of the place that you normally are. You have to go someplace different and you have to go someplace quiet. So if you're going to go do your personal retreat and you have your phone in your pocket and you left notifications on and you're responding to emails in between thinking about these things, you've sabotaged it. You need to really disconnect and allow your brain to be your brain and not you know, this thing that we've trained it to be where it's constantly trying to keep things in short-term memory like just release all of that stuff. Don't worry about what's going on in your inbox for a couple of hours. You're going to be okay. I promise. And then just let your brain do what it's designed to do. And the clarity that comes from that provides a lot more, uh, I I would argue, provides exponential returns, even if it's just over the the short term, maybe it's just, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, But especially when you do it, on a quarterly basis, uh, I think like if you can make some adjustments that are going to to save you from doing some things that you shouldn't be doing, how much time is that going to save you over the next couple months or the next couple of years, if you never took the time to identify whether that's something that you should be doing that's kind of the goal
0: yeah, so you can do it on compressed time if you can figure out then taking longer with it, you can do it in almost like an interval or a you know you, like you said you, you'll take a break and go for lunch and my idea here is say you don't have a cabin uh, what you might want to do instead is get a hotel room like one town over or something or, or even in town, I guess, as long as you know, you can still disconnect and, or, you know, put your phone in a lock box in the hotel room or uh, you know, it, because the travel time might be part of the issue for you or one of the objections, I, I should say um, that's another option. But again, Going then for lunch at, say, as a reward for getting through a certain amount of the, quote, hard work, the, the, the soul searching yep. work is, is a great way to reward. I mean, again, it's a great way to re- reward yourself and say, all right, now I'm going to and even I don't know, maybe, maybe not meet up with a friend and say, hey, I'm going to meet you at this time. And, you know, we can talk and we can have fun and you know, whatever and go have a steak dinner or whatever, you know, your, your favorite is. But uh, that would be another way to incentivize yourself.
1: Yeah. And I, I would even argue that you don't need to even spend any money in order to do this. I mean, if the weather is nice, you could just go to the park. That's mm. something that I do occasionally. Uh, there's a, a area where we live where it's, it's down by the river and the water is kind of my happy place. So I'll just go sit on a park bench for a couple of hours and <laughs> think about <laughs> stuff, you know, th- that you could use that same format for your, your personal retreat. The the trick is escaping Everything that could steal your attention. So if you're going to bring your phone with you, that's totally fine. But you've got to have the willpower not to pull it out of your pocket and check it. And you've got to be able to turn the notifications off so you can't be interrupted. Okay. Now maybe you uh, you know you're going to get you have to leave it on in case you get an emergency phone call or something like that's that's okay. But we're our own worst enemies when it comes to a lot of this stuff no one is uh, there really isn't an emergency but we feel like there is because of fomo <laughs> so we go check the endless feeds or the the infinity pools is how uh, how it was defined in um, a phenomenal book i read recently called make time and th- by the way on that topic uh, you can identify for yourself what your infinity pools are but it may not just be twitter and facebook and those typical endless feeds one of the focused episodes that we recorded recently was with Shahid Ahmed, who is a video game developer, and he turned his iPhone into basically a dumb phone. And he mentioned, uh, he's the one who introduced me to this this whole concept in this book of uh, infinity pools. He he needed to uh, order a set of screwdrivers, so he opened up Amazon. And then he found that he ended up just scrolling through Amazon looking for other things. And he's like, oh, that's an infinity pool that's coming off my phone. Yeah. Wow. You know, so whatever it is for you that steals your attention, being able to identify those things and then quiet those things, you know, slay those dragons, at least for a couple of hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll, chain them up. At least you can you can still allow them in your life. I mean, yep. again, it, 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 the, the whole point of making a dumb phone is not to never interact with those things. It's just to co- corral them into their appropriate time and space. Yes,
1: exactly. Exactly. The right thing at the right time. And that's something that I've done. Like, I don't have email or social media on my phone. I have both of those on my iPad. But I don't want to, because the phone is the thing that I always have with me, I don't want the ability to pull that out and go check those things anytime because I want to I break that, that habit. The most recent focused episode, we interviewed saxophonist Bob Reynolds of snarky puppies. And and uh, he he mentioned that he he had this moment of clarity that he doesn't want his son to remember dad as the guy who always had the the piece of of black metal in his hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so that's the kind of thing I want to avoid. But if I'm at home, you know, the the iPad is is a, a great device for those sorts of things. And just changing the location and the mode that I approach the device with, that's that's enough for me to make sure that I'm intentional wherever I am, whatever I happen to be doing. If I'm at home sitting on the couch, it's okay maybe to check the email and check Twitter and things like that. And I check it a lot less often on my iPad than I do uh, on my phone. And yes, I can still get to that stuff via the web browser and things. But having a, that little bit of friction there where I have to log into it, that's enough to keep my focus on the thing where in, in my own definition where it should be.
0: Yeah, I've had actually the same experience. Uh, a friend of mine and I for about a month and a half or so, uh, about a month and a half or so as well ago uh, for the season of Lent, we took almost everything off our phones like we didn't even just stop it, like. You know, we, we we analyzed every possible distraction, whether it was a banking app or whatever. It's like, well, what's the merit of having that there or not? And, you know, and we, we went that far and I ended up having to, quote, justify some of my choices uh, by ke- keeping them removed from my phone, but putting them on my iPad. And then my iPad usage started to increase, but only by a very, very small percent, whereas my phone... Right. Uh, and this was all in screen time um, uh, statistics, by the way, <laughs> on Apple. Um, my phone time dropped dramatically, and it was a great feeling to see that graphed out. Yeah,
1: that's that's a whole nother topic. I mean, time yeah. tracking is something that is kind of a a buzzword in the productivity space uh, lately, and I, I do it, but not to the level that some people do it, like the Mike Hurleys or the you know Federico Vatici's. But there's a lot of value in understanding how you are actually spending your time versus how you think you are spending your time. And screen time is built in. It kind of gives you that. I use timing on my Mac to get the the same thing. And my experience with that is once you... Initially, you're going to be tracking your time and you're going to be shocked at some of the results. I really spend two hours a day on Twitter. But once you get over that initial shock and you make some adjustments that's the 80/20 of the the value there. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to completely disconnect those things or even remove them completely off of your devices, but there is a lot of value in knowing what is actually going on and not just viewing it through rose-colored glasses. Oh, I I can I can control myself. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't control your monkey brain. It's going to do whatever whatever uh, it's addicted to. And uh, we give ourselves more credit than than we should in that area.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm actually betting that Timeular is one of the sponsors for this episode based on when it's going to come out. So, uh, and, and have you seen Timeular? It's this little device. I've probably already done a pitch for it prior to this part in the episode. So forgive me for mentioning it again, people. But uh, it's a little device that it's like, it, it's almost like a, a an angular dice that sits in a thing and you just turn it to a different um, activity face up and it automatically connects. It's connected to Bluetooth, Bluetooth to your phone or your, uh, computer and automatically then switches to what it is. It's then tracking. And for me, that reduces the friction of having to think about. I mean, one, you have to pre, you, you get to, I should say, predetermine what the things are going to be on the, the die or the device. But two, it reduces the friction of them having to go into a software and then having to uh, stop and or start something. Decide now what is it I'm doing, like on a more granular level. Like it, it, it's very macro level, very helpful, and the analytics are there. It's very awesome. Anyway, second pitch. There you go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen that. I've not used it. The thing for me is the having to switch things that. Doesn't work for me, and that's why you know back in the day when I was trying to use toggle and different things, Mm -hmm. I would start a timer for travel time, for example, and I forget to turn it off, and then I get home and I was not in the car for twelve hours today, (laughs) but that's what the data says, you know. But with timing for the Mac, it it recognizes what apps you're using, it even recognizes what web pages you're going to, or even in like Ulysses, what sheets you're you're working on. So if you have a goal of I'm going to spend two hours today writing on my project and you have Ulysses open for two hours, but you aren't doing anything in the the sheet that that you wanted to be writing in, it'll tell you that. And then it even gives you a productivity score. You can choose this activity is, you know, from very unproductive to very productive, and it kind of averages all that stuff out. It's completely arbitrary, but essentially what you want is for the number to keep going up, right? You want to keep getting better at how you work and effective in, in what you're doing. That's the thing that really works for me is the the automated stuff. If I have to think about switching tasks at all, then the system is is going to break. Not by any fault of the technology, but I'll take complete blame for that. For that. <laughs> uh, and that's really like with with timing, for example, why it's so great is you may. Let's just go back to the timeular thing, okay? So you you flip it over. You're working on a task. At some point, you're probably like, "Oh, I should probably go check Twitter real quick." Okay, so you go there. And then you, you look through something and then, you oh know, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll check Instagram. OK, so you were only going to take a couple minute break in your, your two hour time block. Right. But a half an hour later, you're still scrolling through your feeds. But that's being tracked with the, the wrong activity. You know, at, that's what a lot of people do in my myself. Like, I'm, I'm terrible at that. So sure. I want, you know, one to one representation of this is how I'm actually spending my time. If I could get that for everything that I do, that would be great. And that's really kind of at the heart of the personal retreat too, is the, the recognizing the way things really are being able to get, how does Sam Carpenter put it, um, above and slightly outside your situation, you know, change your perspective. When you change your perspective, you can see things with a, a lot more clarity. Vision is not just being able to see what's right in front of you. It's being able to see down the road. It's being able to see the periphery, you know, that seeing the big picture, uh, and that's where a lot of this like quantified self stuff for me is really helpful. I don't go crazy with it. I'm not tracking all the calories that I'm eating, but I, I do think that this is a great use of the, the technology, uh, the, the health app for, uh, from, for, from Apple and the, the Apple Watch is kind of the thing that got me, got me running, got, got me in shape, you know, because I don't have to think about it. It's just right there. And uh, I think that's the best use of technology is being intentional about it. How is this going to help me achieve the goals that I, I want to set? Not just, I better use this because it's new and shiny or everybody says this is so awesome. But asking the question, Cal Newport kind of makes this case in, in digital minimalism. Like, what is it doing to me? And is that okay? And by the way, you could apply that to just about anything. I think Jim Rohn mentioned that about the, the people that are in your life. You know, Ask yourself the question, who are the people that are able to speak into my life? What, are th- what impact are they having on me? What are they doing to me? And is that okay? <laughs> uh, that's, that can be humbling when you ask those questions. But when you do ask those questions, that's when you have the power to to change. That's when you have the power. To, and maybe it is a difficult conversation to talk to somebody close to you and be like, you know what? You've been really super negative and I can't have that in my life right now. But I've had to do that. <laughs> and it's brought nothing but happiness in the long run. Uh, when you when you do do that, but you have to recognize again that this the situation before you can you can get there.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems to me that there's a, a a almost a theme in some senses of all the things that we're talking about in this conversation as we wind down here, and it has to do with clarity. Um, it has to do with authenticity. It has to do with purpose, and then taking focused action. So. I mean, and and that's all that's that those four things almost seem like different things. But in my mind, I'm seeing like a through line as I said them. So I don't know. Maybe you maybe you got to get in my head first. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) If I were to summarize everything that you just mentioned, I would use the term intentionality. Yes. Are you doing what you want to be doing? Because a lot of people aren't. They're doing what the default has become without ever stopping to think about, is this the right thing? You know, if if all you did was apply into, if you were able to apply intentionality to every moment of of your day, that is the ideal. That is the holy grail for productivity but ultimately faith-based productivity is being intentional with the time, talent, treasure, all of the resources that you have. Being able to invest them in the way that you want.
0: Well said. So, I'm going to link up to everything possible that people could go check out about you and what you're doing uh, in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Anything specific that you want to mention? I know you've got this course that's out, uh, coming out and out now. Uh, So I'd love for you to maybe describe what people are going to get with that.
1: Sure. So uh, Faith-Based Productivity is the flagship course, I would say. It's the culmination of everything that I've ever done. Uh, And by the way, I guess uh, one thing we, we didn't mention uh, my perspective on this stuff is a little bit unique because in addition to being in the productivity space, I also have a Bible college degree. It's kind of how I got here, is I was teaching a Bible college class on personal management, recognizing how all of the stuff I was reading about and seeing in the productivity space lined up with biblical principles. And so it's uh, 20-something videos, and it's got a whole series of explainer videos on how I plan my day starting with the... Uh, the wheel of life and the core values, and then the the monthly, weekling, weekly, and daily planning sheets. You can customize all of those to put in your own life theme, which is a concept that I teach you how to, how to find in the course. In addition to the faith-based productivity course, there's a premium version, which is going to have a, a, a special sale when I launch it. You're going to get the personal retreat course with that. Also, my journaling class a coaching call, and then I've got a community that my friend Joe Buehlig has built alongside that, which you could just join the community if you wanted to. It's $7 a month or $70 a year. But when you buy Faith-Based Productivity Premium during the launch sale, you're actually going to get lifetime access to that for free. So the premium version when it launches is going to be $297. And as you mentioned, that by the time this releases, that should be uh, available. And uh, you'll get all that stuff. And I'm also going to have some giveaways. So people who buy in the first week, I've got five copies of my friend Sean McCabe's book, Overlap, and five copies of a print that he did, which I actually have framed and hanging in our living room also. It says, you will never influence the world by trying to be like it. So in order to qualify for one of those giveaways, basically, you just have to buy in the the first, first week that the... the uh, course is officially available.
0: Perfect. So uh the, the date and everything will be all up in the show notes and coordinated, coordinated with the release of this episode. So you'll know that for sure. And so go check it out. Uh, Mike, great talking with you. You have an open pass to come back. We've got topics kind of already lined up that we could just jump right into. <laughs> so probably in the next... I, w- I would be surprised if not in the next couple months, we have yet another episode with you coming out. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'd be happy to come back. Hopefully you don't get too many more negative iTunes reviews. But uh, Well,
0: I, see, now I'm <laughs> poised for them because, you know, I opened the door. But uh, even then, again, I made the disclaimer in the in the in uh, the intro there that, again, I have not yet recorded, but will record. And you've already heard, but... I'm I'm breaking my brain saying all this. So anyway, <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for being here. Great, great talking with you.
1: Absolutely, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: So uh, I want to say to those of you who took my challenge of listening to at least the first 10 minutes of this podcast and getting something out of it. Uh, if you're hearing my voice now, that obviously means that you made it through the entire episode other than obviously the outro here. I'm curious to see what it was you got out of it. And I also want to say thank you for listening to this far into the episode. You are my peeps. You are my people. I appreciate you listening to this all the way through. So what are your thoughts on faith-based productivity? And for that matter, taking a personal retreat, I'd love to hear from you. You can get a hold of me by going to twitter.com slash eric with a K, the letter J, F-I-S-H-E-R. You can hit me up there or go to beyondthetodolist.com. You can find the feedback button there to shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you. Seriously, if you have gotten this far in the episode, I want to hear from you. As a matter of fact, I want to know what you thought about this episode specifically. I even want to know what you thought about me reading the uh, the iTunes review there, because, again, I was shocked to find out somebody was like, oh, my gosh, Eric just has guests on to talk about religious themes. And I'm like, what show are you listening to? That's seriously not this show. So anyway. I do hope that you got something out of this, and I would love it then to do me the quick favor of passing this on again to somebody or everybody for that matter, but specifically somebody that you know would benefit from hearing this episode. That is how this show grows. If you enjoy this show, sharing it, and by the way, so many of you do this already. I super appreciate it. I am so thankful for you doing that. Do it one more time share it with somebody you know needs to hear about this conversation and then let me know that you sent them and thanks again really i mean it for listening i really do appreciate it and i really do want you to reach out to me i would love to hear from you and i just want you to let you know that i'm super appreciative i've got a bunch more episodes coming down the pipeline that are awesome and you're gonna love them through the rest of the summer and even then through the rest of the year so thanks again for listening i mean it and i will see you next episode